Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm AJ, and I'm going to break down UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis in full. Before doing so, I'd like to let you all know that if you'd like to tell my plays for the event, uh, you can do so at AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com backslash premium hyphen subscription tab or on MMAOddsBreaker.com on the premium picks tab. And all my bets are third party tracked and verified at betmma.tips backslash Anthony S364 on that link. Even if you're not tailing, I wish you the best of luck uh, for this event. And in the future, looking to close out the year strong, we only have uh, very few events left as the last event here is on December 19th. So closing out the year of 2020 strong. If you'd like to jump on board, feel free to do so at AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com backslash premium hyphen subscription. Um, yeah, looking forward to this card. I'm actually recording this here on Friday, right before, uh, the day before, rather, UFC 255. I just have all the fighters on this card researched and i just thought why not crank this audio podcast out so it's not in advance and you know i'd rather do things way in advance than way uh wait till the last minute so to speak so uh yeah happy to be talking these fights and uh let's do this shall we so i'm actually going to go in the order of tapology um here as you as uh, actually espn the order that i usually go in uh only has four bouts posted at the time of recording this series it shows uh, how early I'm doing this here. Perhaps a little bit too early for for some people, but I'm here and I'm doing this. So here we go. So first matchup, Nate Manus taking on Luke Sanders. Luke Sanders is actually coming back after a long layoff here. Last time we saw him fight was in February 2019. And I have my concerns with Sanders, to be honest, um, not just in terms of the intangibles, like I said, just the long layoff. Um, I also have my concerns about just you know, him potentially, you know, regressing athletically going along with that point. You know, he's now 34 years of age. Uh, he was going through some serious uh, knee issues uh, and some torn stuff. And uh, per uh, MMA junkie, I believe is the source that I pulled that from. Uh, so these intangibles just are kind of questionable about him. And you couple that with just how he typically fights. He's a guy who skill set wise, I think he's very talented his mixed martial arts base is his wrestling, but the thing that we see in his fights is he doesn't really look to wrestle. It's a concern because he's not really playing to his strength. He's a capable striker. That's his plan A game plan is to strike. He's capable there. Uh, he's got power in his left hand, but he's not the most technical striker. I actually think Manus here is the more polished and technical striker of the two. Uh, another thing about Sanders is we've seen him uh, susceptible to counters. We've seen him hurt. In fights, we've seen him finished by Andre Sukmantaw. We also know that he doesn't check low kicks. Um, we also know that his fight IQ at times can be questionable. He illegally need Yuri Alcantara after dominating him on the ground for the first round. It was a it was about a 10-8 round going in his favor, and then he illegally needs Alcantara, allowing him to bide some times. And Alcantara was actually able to go on and win that fight via knee bar in the second round. And like I said, going along with the earlier point, why I think it's questionable fight IQ is he's a wrestler. That's like his base, but you don't really see him go out there and shoot takedowns. That is not his plan A game plan. His plan A game plan is to go out there and to strike. And like I said, he's not a bad striker. He's a southpaw striker. He's got power in that left hand. He's mainly a head hunter. And I think that him being susceptible to being countered is going to play right into Manus's game. Manus is a counter striker. I think he's, the better overall technical striker of the two. He utilizes some good feints as main as he could switch stances. Um, and he could counter a pie. If you throw, say, like a naked kick, 
which perhaps Sanders throws. So I think that Maness here, you couple the, you know, the fact that he's been more active than Sanders, he's, he's younger than Sanders. And just the, the, the questions I have on Sanders is just as a fighter, I just feel like for him in a given fight, like a lot of things need to really go right for him to win. There's fights where he's dominating, but then he, or he's winning. Um, and then he goes on to lose the Uriel Cantor fight is a perfect example of that fight. I mean, he, was dominating that fight up until he got caught in an e-bar up until round two. And you want to look at the Subintel fight. He actually won round one there, uh, but lost, got countered by kind of just charging at Subintel. So I have my concerns with Sanders, a guy, the guy on paper is got a lot of promise. He showed a lot of promise earlier, early in his UFC career, uh, but just like the slip ups. And then you couple that with these intangible things. I'm actually going to go with Nate Manis here to get his second UFC win in, even if Sanders comes in here and wants to wrestle, I think Manis's takedown defense should be good enough. Though it's not great takedown defense, it should be good enough to keep the fight standing if, if Sanders chooses to do so. So uh, my pick is going to be Nate Manis. Next fight, we got Bill Elgio taking on Spike Carlisle. This should be a really fun one. I think that Elgio will likely have success on the feet if he wins this fight. He's not a bad grappler by any means. Elgio is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt himself, we saw him tangle on the ground a bit there with Lamas, but I think that the physicality of Carlisle um, and his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu credentials will actually help him win those uh, scrambles on the ground, win those grappling exchanges on the ground. So I do think that Elgio, being the longer fighter, uh, being that how I just kind of assess him as a fighter, I do think that while he is definitely capable on the ground, he's got those Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu credentials. He is mainly a striker is how I would assess him. Uh, he utilizes some good low kicks to Zalgio. He's got a good step in knee. He's a varied striker. He could throw in combination. He could switch stances and striking exchanges. Um, so he's like a tricky, like awkward guy to deal with. Uh, he will push the pace. Um, I wouldn't say overall he's a good technical striker. There are times when he swings wildly. So even though Spike is not a great technical striker himself, we know that Spike hits pretty hard. He's aggressive. Maybe he catches Elgio with something. We saw Elgio hurt. Uh, on the contender series, we've also seen Elgio give up his uh, back multiple times. If you want to go back to the contender series fight again, his takedown defense could be a bit shaky. Kid Elgio, uh, if you want to reference the Lamas fight as well in his UFC debut. So there's enough there with, with Spike where I do think that he lands takedowns on Elgio <clears throat> because he's a more physical grappler. Um, Spike is a guy who relies a lot on his strength, and that's why we've seen him tire out early on in fights, but he perseveres through it. I mean, he's a guy that... Even if he gets tired early on in fights, if you want to look at the Billy Quarantillo fight, that's a perfect example. Got very tired there, uh, pushed through it, and still fought a hard three rounds. You could argue he won the fight. I actually did score the fight for him personally, uh, for what it's worth. Um, Billy Q did impress it, but I personally thought that Spike won rounds one and two. But that's neither here nor there. My point is, despite slowing down Carlisle, he could still persevere and push through it. And Aljo is another guy who, who will persevere, push through Aljo has definitely more preparation for this fight than he did against Lamas as that UFC debut was on very short notice. I believe he was stepping in there for Ryan Hall. Um, so it's a fight where I do think that Aljo can hang with, with Carlisle on the ground because of his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt credentials. Uh, but I think that again, the physicality of Carlisle, just the aggressiveness, he's just uh, very strong in the scrambles. I think that'll prevail and help Carlisle ultimately win a decision here in all likelihood because Bill is really, uh, really tough to finish. Um, but a competitive fight nonetheless. Don't get me wrong. I think that if Bill, if uh, striking exchanges play out for extended time, or even if there's some grappling exchanges, I do think that Bill could hang with Carlisle on the feet. Maybe he reverses them. <clears throat> Billy Q was able to get in an advantageous position and threaten Carlisle on the ground. So I do think that 
uh, Aljo's competencies on the ground, competencies as long with his length uh, could potentially pose some problems there as well. But more than likely, he will need to keep the fight standing for long enough to win rounds or potentially win by knockout. I'm going to actually go with Spike Carlisle here because I believe he controls the fight. And even though he lost to Billy Q uh, uh, on the judges' scorecards, I do believe that that was overall a good performance by him, and I like to see that. <clears throat> Next fight, Almir Albizi and Zalgis Zumagulov. I didn't really talk about this off the top, but I'll just say it here again. There's just a lot of fights on this card where I'm not that confident in either way. Um, not say as confident as like same say uh, some of the previous favorites on like UFC 255. It's just one of those cards, guys. Like again, I, I go on here, I try my best, I do all the research. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's just you could, doing all the research. Sometimes you're just not as confident as you otherwise would be for for various reasons. Um, and that segues segues right into this fight here. It's not to say that these guys aren't talented or anything like that. I think they're both very talented, uh, but it's just a tougher fight to call because Zuma Gulov here. I did think he he looked better in his UFC debut than I I guess I I projected him to be. I actually thought that Pilo was going to win pretty comfortably there, uh, but he still, despite losing on the judges' scorecards, I thought it was very close. Um, I do think that Zumigulov showed more promise there. I still don't think he's like a great technical striker though. I still don't think that uh, his decision making is is great in the octagon in terms of just. You know, there's sometimes where there's guys shooting takedowns on him on the regional scene, and he'll be like fishing for a ninja choke instead of, you know, digging under hooks and trying to defend the actual takedown against the fence. Um, so that's a concern in this matchup against Albizi, who in all likelihood is going to try and take him down. Albizi, a capable striker, uh, but actually favors Yumigulov on the feet. Um, bit more polished there, I'd say, of the two. Still, again, still not a great technical striker. So I could see Albazi having some some moderate success on the feet, maybe even winning some exchanges. But the difference maker for me here is actually, even though I perceive this as a striker versus grappler matchup with Zuma Gulov, is I do think that he can land takedowns, Zuma Gulov. You know, he's got a good trip takedown ability. Offensively, he's got some tricky trips, um, some some competent takedown ability. So, and I have seen Elbazi taken down in the regional scene. I do think that Zuma Gulov can mix in some wrestling if he'd like to. I don't know that Elbazi is kind of scramble up as well as, say, Paiva did. My guess is not because I have seen Elbazi taken down um, and controlled in the past. So I think that Zumagulov, in addition to some striking success, could have some success with his top control on the ground if need be. And also another key difference maker here is the level of opposition. Zumagulov has been fighting the much higher level of opposition. You know, if you want to throw uh, Holly and Paiva's name in there, of course, that was in his UFC debut. But if you want to actually go back uh, to prior to prior to making his UFC debut, he fought guys like Tyson Nam, uh, Tagir Ulam Bakoff, uh, you know, Ali Bagatinov, guys that you know, were not in the UFC yet or former UFC fighters. So he's been essentially, uh, or current UFC fighters in the case of Tyson Nam. So he's been essentially, Zumagulov has essentially been fighting UFC level competition even before coming into the UFC. And despite, uh, you know, those fights being very competitive, he won them. You know, he didn't beat Holly and Paiva, obviously, in the judges' scorecards, but the fact that he's beating these guys uh, prior to coming to the UFC tells me a lot that his game is polished. I, I think that Zuma Gulov is a guy who he doesn't have many holes in his game. I don't really think he has like any super glaring ones, but at the same time, he's not a guy that is overly excellent, I'd say, in one particular area. Um, so as a result, his fights tend to be more competitive than they otherwise would be. And that's kind of what my point I was trying to make with opening this fight is I think that Albizi, being a young guy, being a well-rounded guy himself, I would not be surprised to see him make this fight very competitive, to be honest. I think this fight will be very competitive, and I think the odds being – 
you know, near Pickham at the time I'm recording this here, uh, again, on Friday, the 20th at 10.51 a.m. Central Standard Time is justified. Again, sometimes you, I, I'm going to make a pick here. I'm going to pick Zuma Gulab, but sometimes it's just one of those cases where, again, I, I could see it going either way. I consider Albizi being a very live underdog, and I would not be surprised to see him get his uh, second UFC win. Again, I don't think he's going to win by submission here because Zuma Gulab has shown definitely some solid grappling and scrambling chops, but uh, perhaps Albizi could win a decision where he mixes in, mixes in some takedowns, some top control time, and maybe does enough on the feet to beat uh, Zuma Gulov. So I'm actually going to pick Zuma Gulov here, but let me reemphasize that I do consider Albizi. And, and a lot of these guys on this, uh, guys and ladies on this card, uh, live underdogs. So um, there's that. Sean Woodson taking on Jonathan Pierce, one of the wider odds discrepancies in the card. And one of my more confident picks, though I'm not as confident in Woodson as, say, some other fighters in the past that have been near his betting odds because he's, he's still got, uh, you know, clear susceptibilities in his game. You know, his takedown defense is solid, but it's still not great. We've seen that he can be taken down. And when you, when you take him down, uh, you could, you know, expose his grappling. You know, we've seen him get his back taken for multiple minutes. If you want to go back to the contender series fights, if you want to go back to the Kyle Bakniak fight in his debut, even though Bakniak didn't have much success grappling and wrestling, he was able to push him up against the fence, uh, clinch up with him often, and and have some moderate success with, with control there. Uh, we even saw the Julian Arosa fight, I guess most notably, where Arosa, a guy who uh, came in on very short notice, but don't get me wrong, very well-rounded, savvy veteran guy, was able to take down Woodson, kind of wear him out uh, due to the pressure, which is another thing that Woodson has shown to struggle with, is pressure, uh, get him on his back foot, get him against the fence. And then Arosa took him down and submitted him. And with, with Woodson, he's a guy that is very experienced in boxing. That his his uh, his mixed martial arts base, and he's a tremendous boxer. He's got a very long reach um, in general. He's a very tall guy. He's very technical. He's got all these boxes checks in terms of his striking. He's very, uh, very good counters, excellent head movement. The footwork, like I said, good but not great because we, you know, you can back him up against the fence, you can pressure him, things like that. Uh, but in terms of a purely a striker, Woodson, great. I mean, but again, if you want to beat this guy that that is not only very technical in terms of his striking acumen, uh, but also very long, you need to take that path least resistance. We see a lot of guys try and take him down. Um, and even if you want to go back to the Terrence McKinney fight, again, he ended up winning that fight. But what happened prior to him landing that knee on McKinney? He was he was losing. I mean, he was getting taken down and controlled. And so that is my concern with him, not necessarily in this matchup compellingly, but just in general, until we see those that part of his game tightened up. And I do think that with time it can, because he trains with guys like James Krause, it's going to be tr tough to have a lot of conviction in picking Woodson as a big favorite uh, based off that clear vulnerability that he has. And Jonathan Pierce, look, I mean, he's a guy that I think, you know, Woodson is rightly favored over um, on the feed. I think that Woodson is a better striker. He could have success there. Uh, Pierce, don't get me wrong. He's not a, he's not bad on the feed. I mean, he can, uh, throw in high combination, or he can uh, he can throw in a lot of combination, which in turn leads to uh, a lot of striking value being uh, thrown. He can push in a tremendous pace. I mean, he landed 142 significant strikes on his Dana White's Contender Series appearance uh, per UFCStats.com. Uh, his offensive striking is decently te technical. He moves fairly well. He's fairly athletic, varies his attack, uh, but he is like wide open to being countered. Um, on the defensive side of things, you know, just wide open. He'll throw a lot of like naked low kicks, 
Uh, we even saw him rocked by Joe Lozon in his UFC debut. I just say he's extremely hittable in the pocket just due to the fact that he doesn't move his head. It's completely on the center line. So again, it's I get why Woodson's favored. I think that he should be favored here because he's the better striker in a fight that is primarily going to be won or lost standing. But Pierce, in all likelihood, will try to take this fight to the ground. Pierce, not a not a great grappler, but that is going to be the game plan that he tries to impose here. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. From what I could research, he looks to advance position and top position. He's got a double leg takedown against the fence. He's got a body lock takedown in open, in open space. So there's even a chance that he doesn't take Woodson down. But if he does, even if he does, excuse me, I do think that uh, transitionally and positionally, his grappling is very sloppy. Uh, he got mount on his contender series opponent, Rosales. Uh, but Rosales easily snuck out the back door immediately. Uh, that actually happened twice in that fight. Um, so again, there is a path to victory here for Pierce, but it's not a super reliable path. I think he needs to be more polished. Uh, he, he would need to show that he's been a more polished grappler in the meantime, since we last saw him, because even if you want to go back to the Lozon fight, he was finished on the ground by Lozon. I get it. Lozon's a very talented grappler himself, but he just didn't really give him any resistance there. Um, Unless if Pierce has really sharpened up his grappling chops, I just personally think that this is going to be a fight where he's going to struggle to take Woodson down. Therefore, it's going to be one or lost in the feet. Where again, I think that Woodson's technique, his length, his striking acumen overall is just going to um, be much more compelling and win him this fight and maybe even get a stoppage here along the way. So Sean Woodson is my pick, but don't get me wrong. There are still some things in his game that I would like to see address um, in the future. Sue Maderji taking on Malcolm Gordon. This is another fight where Maderji is going to be my pick, but he is a hesitant pick, even as a big favorite, because we've seen, just like Woodson, he's got a clear vulnerability in his game. If you want to go back just to his UFC debut against Luis Smolka, a guy who I've said before in the past, like with Smolka, he's a guy that basically wins or loses fights based on whether or not he has the grappling advantage. And this happened to be a fight where he did – uh, but my concern with Muderji is you want to couple that with all the other losses that he had prior to that fight where he's been submitted. He's been submitted in all of his losses. The Smolka fight was no different. He was taken down by Smolka a couple times and controlled and, and essentially dominated. You know, he was dominated not just in round two where he was finished, but also round one. That is going to be a, a huge thing that I will monitor with Muderji going forward. Because uh, if you could get somebody that could grapple with him, that could potentially pose problems, which I'll get into here with Gordon, because you don't need to be like a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt to really, uh, you know, impose your game on Muderji on the ground. Because Smoke is a guy who who doesn't have that those credentials. Now, don't get me wrong; he does train an American Top Team. He's a young guy. There is chance that he's gotten better since, uh, but I would be really surprised if at this point he's like an elite level. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt type grappler. I think he's got a ways to go. He's a guy that comes from a striking background, and I do think he's very talented on the feet. I think in this matchup, that should help him. He's a much better striker. I think he's much more durable than Gordon. I think he's got the more varied attack. I think he'll be a bit quicker to the to the, to the the punch, and he should be able to do a lot of damage to Gordon on the feet. Um, and I favor Mujerji on the feet by a pretty wide margin, but where Gordon can make it interesting is even though he's coming off a submission loss, I do think that he will try to take Muderji down. Uh, Gordon is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um, he's not a great wrestler, um, but that will be what he needs to try and work. Louis Smolka is not a great wrestler. Was it able to take down Muderji? So this fight is pretty compelling 
in the sense that I think that Muderji is going to have a lot of success on the feet. But if Gordon gets his fight on the ground and ends up in top position, it'll be him, I think, that does a lot of damage and potentially even looks like the favorite. Uh, I think in all likelihood will like look like the favorite, uh, a significant one, because, again, I'm not sold on Muderji's ground game. So it's a really polarizing matchup. you got a favorite here in Muderji who, don't get me wrong, I'm favoring him, but to be, you know, to have this price tag uh, on a fighter who, again, his grappling is still just a huge liability in my opinion. We didn't even really get to see it tested the following fight against Subintah. Has it improved since? I'm sure. Uh, but how much? You know, again, it's still kind of an unknown that I like to see addressed and not something that I personally uh, would like to bet on a fighter, knowing that they have a clear uh, a clear weakness that another fighter could exploit, especially in this matchup. So ultimately, I'm going to side with Muderji here uh, because I think that along the way, he probably finds uh, a shot on the feet to do some damage to Gordon and, and probably finish the fight. But this is, again, another fighter where we have a clear uh, vulnerability. So again, I don't, I've said it in the past and I'll say it again. I don't have a problem saying it again. I don't like to bet fighters at especially high prices where they have a clear susceptibility in their game that the opposition could exploit. Um, cause again, I, I would prefer to invest in well-rounded fighters, fighters that, um, I, I would think that they're not going to get, you know, quote unquote exposed in a given matchup. And this is a matchup where I do think that if Gordon gets this fight to the ground, he can expose, uh, that grappling weakness that we've seen with Muderji in the past. So pick is Muderji, but don't get me wrong. I'm not that confident in him as a big favorite here. Rachel Ostovich and Gina Mazzani. I am actually going to end up picking Ostovich here. I just think that despite the size advantage in favor of Mazzani, you know, Mazzani will also have six inches of reach on Ostovich. I just think that Ostovich is a bit better uh, of a wrestler and I think a bit better of a striker as well. I think she's just a bit more comfortable on the feet um, of the two. My question on Ostevich is just her submission grappling in terms of like scrambles. Uh, I think it'd be much improved. She's a, a fighter who is, you know, submission over position, which in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, you don't like to see that because you want to prioritize having the dominant position rather than just sacrificing a position for an advantageous position. Or excuse me for submission and sacrificing that advantageous position. It's just not a um, an optimal way to approach that situation. Um, don't get me wrong. She's got some submission grappling chops. She's, and she can get a submission here, uh, but it is something in terms of just like a, a strategy thing I would like to see uh, brush up on. And we even saw that in the Paige Van Zandt fight. I mean, she was winning that fight uh, pretty handily, but then Paige – was able to get in a dominant position and essentially flip the script, the, the script on the fight um, and get a, a stoppage herself. So it's a fight where, again, I understand the odds being very competitive. I think that Mizani um, could maybe jump on something in a scramble. I think that Osevich could do the same. Um, I think it's kind of, you know, another fight where I think a finish could happen either way, uh, depending on who goes for submission at what time. Uh, but nonetheless, I will favor Ostevich here. I think she's the better striker and I think the better wrestler as well. Martin Day taking on Anderson Dos Santos. Um, another favorite where, again, it's I, I favor Day. I think he's the better striker, more technical, more varied. Uh, Dos Santos, pretty much his striking, I'd say, is, is stiff, uh, predictable, doesn't really vary his attack, doesn't really throw in combination that much. He's mainly just uh, trying to throw hands. And he's a, I'd say a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. He will look to get the fight to the ground when he can. 
look to advance position like we saw in the Andre Yule fight and, and win via stoppage, basically. So on the feet, I favor Day, but here's the thing. Day has been hurt in a lot of fights. Uh, he was knocked out cold by Davy Grant uh, not too long ago this summer. He has also been hurt in other fights. Like if you want to go back to the uh, Pinguan Lud fight, we've also seen him. Uh, he's also been knocked out on the regional scene as well. So even though Dos Santos isn't like this great technical striker or even good technical striker, hasn't really shown much power in his hands. I do think that he could maybe hurt day on the feet. I wouldn't be that surprised because Davy Grant is not a guy that's known for power punching that that was Davy Grant's first knockdown and knockout in the UFC. Um, so I have serious questions about the durability of day, even though I favor him on the feet. Cause I think he's a much better striker overall, more, much more complete. Um, but Dos Santos is live, not just for that reason, but because I think he's a better grappler. I think that uh, Day does does leave openings on the ground. I have seen him taken down. He has uh, gotten his back taken, uh, if you want to go back to the contender series. And as a result, you know, Anderson Dos Santos, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, I could see him, you know, maybe getting this fight to the ground, whether it's via takedown, a double leg against the fence, or maybe he he clips and hurt, hurts Day in a striking exchange, and that's, that's what is able to get the fight to the ground. He just gets in an advantageous position and is able to finish the fight. Uh, so it's another fight where, again, I'm picking day, but the durability on the feet and also the defensive grappling that we've seen out of him is a huge concern that I have with him overall. I mean, it did look better against Grant. I mean, he did a solid job of defending the submissions, spinning out of them, things like that. Uh, but it is still, uh, at this point, I'd say a weakness in his game um, because Dos Santos, I personally feel, is a bit better of a pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner than Davey Grant. Uh, so the, should these two tangle on the ground, I would not be surprised to see Anderson Dos Santos maybe get a submission here. Uh, Josh Prisian taking on Parker Porter. Uh, heavyweight fight here. I do think that Prisian wins the matchup. I think that the size advantage could play a role if he gets in an advantageous position on Parker Porter on the ground. I think he will be able to advance position and get a stoppage. Just the size I think should be compelling with the ground and pound threat. And even on the feet. Parker, I think, will have opportunities to counter uh, Prisian because Prisian will just excessively use spinning spinning attacks, like spinning back, uh, spinning kicks, uh, spinning back fists, and as a result, he's susceptible to the counter. And you know, Parker's got countering proficiency; he's got some pop in his hands, and he's a fairly technical striker. So I would not be surprised to see Parker win uh, clip. Uh, Prisian with a counter and then win by knockout. But I think more than likely what we're going to see here is Prisian's just going to be able to uh, have success on the feet. He's the more varied striker, the better striker at range, uh, and be able to leverage his length, leverage his varied tools, and basically do damage to Parker on the feet. Um, and even on the ground, a favorite Prisian, assuming that he's not rocked from a punch, um, and assuming he's in top position, I think that those exchanges will favor him as well due to the size uh, and whatnot. So, um, not, not a super confident pick because, like I say, I do think that Parisian does have holes in his game. In addition to that, he's shown very shaky takedown defense. I don't think that'll cost him in this fight because Parker doesn't really go for takedowns. Uh, but, again, something to note nonetheless because his takedown defense, I'd say, is very, very shaky. His wrestling overall is very, very shaky. Uh, that's part of the reason why he – that is actually the one of the main reasons why he uh, lost on the Ultimate Fighter show when he was on – back in the heavy hitter season. Shout out to the Ultimate Fighter heavy hitter, hitter season. That is the last season of the Ultimate Fighter, um, but now we're starting up a new season here in March, it looks like. So shout out to the Ultimate Fighter 
Anyway, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited that it's coming back, but uh, neither here nor there. So Parisian is the pick. Ashley Evans-Smith taking on Norma Dumont. Another fight continuing with the trend here of just, again, hard to be confident either way. Um, for me personally, I like both of these guys. I've uh, bet on Baeza in the past, um, and I haven't bet on Sato personally, but just watching him fight. Um, he's an exciting guy. He's basically a counter-striker. He's got some power in his hands. Um, I think that Sato is the less predictable striker of the two. He's also much more experienced than uh, Baeza, which could help. And he's a judo practitioner, is, is Sato. So if there are takedowns to be landed, they probably come from Sato. But both guys' primarily primary game plan here is to strike. Um, I think we're going to get a striker's battle, you know. And I do think that it'll be competitive. I think that both guys have shown that they could be hurt. We saw Baeza rocked by Matt Brown pretty badly. His legs buckled and his mouthpiece came out. We've seen Sato rocked by Ben Saunders and Blah Muhammad. We've also seen him hurt on the regional scene as well. Both guys have power, but I actually trust Baez's durability more of the two because he's shown that he, uh, that he has been rocked less. He's also been in less fights. So that could help potentially help his durability. But the the thing that makes me nervous about Baeza and potentially I overrated him in the past and not to say that he can't get better. Cause I think he will based on his age and where he trains MMA masters. Um, but his striking is fairly predictable. I mean, he's just pretty much trying to set up the right hand the whole time. Uh, doesn't vary his attack a whole lot. He'll throw some low kicks that are very damaging, like we saw in his um, contender series fights against, or not his contender series fight, but in his UFC debut against Hector Aldana. So I think that Sato being a counter striker, being a very experienced striker, I actually think that they will be able to read. They could potentially read uh, Baeza well by looking at his tape and seeing that, you know, again, he's just pretty much trying to set up the right hand. Doesn't really vary his attack. His combinations are fairly predictable. I think they will be ready for that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sato's not going out there throwing uh, kicks on the regular. He's mainly just a boxer too. But with his whole game of countering, um, I think, and, and having power in his hands himself, I think that there will be opportunities for, for Sato to potentially clip and hurt uh, Baeza. So I actually think this is a fight where either guy is capable of hurting the other on the feet. Uh, but I'm actually going to ever so slightly lean with Baeza because while they do both have power and while they do both have some striking acumen, I actually think that'll be – I will actually side here with the fighter that I think is more durable, and that is Miguel Baeza here. So Miguel Baeza is going to be my pick. Anthony Smith taking on Devin Clark. Another fight where, um, again, uh, just not super confident either way here. And it's because, like, I don't know where Smith is at. I mean, we've seen him two fights in a row now where he's just taken a lot of damage. Um, not so much in the Rackage fight. You know, the Rackage fight, he was just controlled mainly for um, about three rounds there. I mean, Rackage was just basically able to leverage his physicality and his ever-improving grappling and, and just win rounds by just being active enough in top position and essentially getting one takedown per round. The first round was actually a knockdown due to calf kicks. Uh, so if you want to go to damage, there, there was that right there. But uh, it's a concern going into this matchup, man, to be honest, because even if you want to argue that Smith is the more talented fighter and I think more well-rounded, I think the case could be made. Uh, but Clark is a wrestler. You know, Clark can land takedowns and he can get top control time. Um, we have seen Smith taken down by guys that are not as good of wrestlers as Devin Clark. If you want to reference the Vulcan Uzdemir fights uh, or the Alexander Gustafsson fights, there's been other fights in the past as well. Smith just does not have good takedown defense. 
And so that'll be Clark's, I think, passive path of victory is take Smith down and try and essentially get top control. And it's possible that he does it because we've seen essentially two fights in a row where Smith was put on his back and, and lost the fight. You know, obviously the, the Teixeira fight went differently than the Rackage fight, but it was the same trend. He ended up on his back um, and was controlled there for multiple minutes. Uh, so that will be Clark's path of victory. The issue, though, is Clark doesn't really set up his takedowns. He's often kind of sloppy. He doesn't look like he's all that comfortable taking damage and striking exchanges. And as a result, we've seen him hurt in fights more than once. We, he was hurt in his most recent fight against Alonzo Menafield. He was hurt by Ryan Spahn prior to the guillotine choke. Uh, we've seen him knocked out, like against Alex Nicholson in his debut. We saw him hurt prior to the submission against Jan Blahovitz. You know, like there, there's a lot of things, kind of like what I said about uh, Sanders. There's a lot of things in Clark's game that kind of put you in this, you know, sort of like frame of mind where you're like, there needs to kind of be this like perfect sort of storm for him to impose to win this sort of fight against a guy like Anthony Smith, who don't get me wrong. I mean, again, on a two fight losing streak, but the guy has shown that he is resilient. He will not quit. Obviously he's Lionheart. That's his nickname. After all, he's a Brazilian shoots black belt. I think he's the better striker than Clark and has more power and he will be a threat to Clark. And this is a step down in competition for Anthony Smith. You know, he's been fighting guys that are like are essentially top five fighters at light heavyweight. You know, he's been fighting guys like John Jones, Alexander Gustafsson, again, Volkan Ujdemir, Glover Teixeira, uh, next in line for as, as a light heavyweight contender, and, and Alexander Rockets, you know? So, like, this is definitely a step down for Smith, but there is still enough concerns on his side uh, with him losing as convincingly as he did. Just the stylistic matchup. Again, Clark, there is a clear path of victory for Clark. He could take Smith down because Smith is not a good defensive wrestler and get top control. Uh, and then we got to, I guess, take into consideration, you know, some regression on, on Smith's part to some extent. I mean, how much does he want it? I mean, we were we were at a point where he was fighting John Jones for the title. Fast forward a few fights, and now we're here where he's been, uh, you know, he won the the Gustafsson fight in the meantime, but then he's lost two fights in a row where uh, they really weren't competitive at all. I mean, don't get me wrong, he had his he had his moments there. He was doing well against Glover for about the first four minutes or so. Uh, but again, it's still like, what is the, what is the general gist of then what's happening here? So again, it might not be a fight that Smith is up for. I, I have to question that part of it. And then again, just the way he's been losing a, a style of fight that Clark is more than capable of imposing here. So I'm actually going to ever so slightly lean with Anthony Smith because I trust him more of the two, um, in terms of like, I, I could trust him to, um, you know, I, I trust his durability more. I trust him, you know, even on the ground, uh, he didn't show, you know, a whole lot of threat from his back against Rakic. But look, Rakic and Clark are, you know, while Rakic is more so known as a striker, he is way bigger than Clark on the ground, like way bigger. So that physicality advantage while on top position would be much more compelling for a guy like Clark, or excuse me, for a guy like Rakic uh, than, than Clark laying on top of Smith. Because even though one guy's a better wrestler on paper than the other one guy is clearly a lot bigger than the other and that will help as we've seen time and time again a lot of grappling exchanges the physicality the presence and again Rakic is again he's known as a striker but his grappling has come a long way he's definitely a very strong grappler I'd say uh, as well so this is definitely a more forgiving matchup for Anthony Smith don't get me wrong um, but it is still one that I do have concerns about him in general Coming event, Rafael Fiziev taking on Hinato Moicano. Really looking forward to this one. This is awesome fight at 155 pounds because now remember we've got Hinato Moicano moving up now 
uh, as he took his last fight and won it against Demir uh, Hadzovich there back in March uh, on UFC Fight Night Lee versus Oliveira. It seemed it did not seem like it was that long ago. It was uh, crazy. Anyway, so they're both coming off momentum here. Fizzy F2, you know, the Mark G. Casey performance was tremendous. I mean, throws really hard. He's one of the striking coaches at Tiger Muay Thai. He's a he's a great technical striker. Is Fiziev, I think the more technical striker of the two, um, I think has more power as well. He's also got a combat Sambo background. I mean, we haven't seen a whole lot of his grappling, um, so it is still a bit of an unknown. We don't know. Uh, his takedown defense hasn't looked bad. It's looked sound thus far. Uh, but it, it would be interesting should Moicano get in top position on the ground because Moicano's a black belt. You know, he, he's, a, he's a serious guy on the ground. You know, he, he had that, you know, submission loss. He has that submission loss to – Ortega, but guy, the guy is a stud on the ground. He really is. So it kind of leaves an unknown, honestly, because if Moicano happens to, you know, just get in top position on, on Fiziev, he might be able to submit him. I don't know. I don't know what Fiziev's um, defensive grappling is like, like against such a high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. So that kind of adds another wrinkle in the fight. But that said, um, Moicano's not a great wrestler, so there is still a chance that he doesn't take Fiziev down, um, as Moicano's a guy that's mainly getting – uh, takedowns from the body lock and whatnot, in, at least in recent fights. Uh, so I think we're going to primarily get a striker battle here. We're actually do favor Fiziev, more technical. I think throws harder. Um, I think in the pocket he will be able to – I think he will have opportunities to clip Moicano. Moicano's head movement could be improved. He tends to drop his hands. Um, and as a result, we've seen Moicano hurt um, in fights. You know, we saw him hurt by Chan Sung Jung. He was rocked badly there uh, by an overhand right. And even against Jose Aldo, you know, so um, that was at 145 and I get it, you know, an extra 10 pounds could potentially help his durability, but also we got to keep in mind these fighters at 155 pounds are just going to pack more power because they're, they're bigger dudes. Right. Um, so it kind of goes both ways. You know, we've seen some fighters, they move up in weight, their durability looks better, but then there's other times where it doesn't happen uh, that were, or maybe it helps, but a knockout loss still happens if you get what I mean. Um, so again, it's still a bit of a question where, with Moicano because we didn't really get to see him punched against Hazovich. He pretty much just took the fight to the ground right away and got the submission. So I think that Fiziev here, there's a chance that he definitely gives him a lot more resistance in terms of the takedown offense. I think he probably will. I'd be pretty surprised to see Moicano get a quick submission, to be honest. Um, and I think we're going to get this fight that's going to be won or lost on the feet. Don't get me wrong. Moicano has shown that he could go out there and beat guys that are tremendous strikers. Look at the Calvin Cater fight, you know, um, just look at how he leverages his length. I mean, he's technical in terms of like his straight punches. Uh, he throws some nice low kicks. He's very he has very good footwork and movement. Uh, the Jeremy Stevens fight's another example where he showcased really good striking. He's very good at circling. Is my kind of he fights like like a smart fighter. Um, so I definitely don't think it's a blowout on the feet. I think it could be close because Moicano has shown that he could outstrike tremendous strikers. But again, I'm going to favor Fiziev, more technical. Um, throws harder as well. And I think more defensively sound of the two. So uh Hafiel Fiziev is going to be my pick main event. Um, Curtis blades taking on Derek Lewis. This is actually like my most confident, I guess, prediction of the card because we have a fighter here in Curtis blades who just, he's shown, you know, even though this is a heavyweight fight and you got that variance factor of it, of just all these guys hit hard. This is a guy who's been uh, tested and has definitely shown uh, a lot less holes in his game or really not many any holes in his game at this point, any glaring ones at least, uh, than say some of these other uh, uh, larger favorites on the card, if that makes sense. Pardon that one second, sorry. 
But he, yeah, he's a guy who look at look at his resume. I mean, look, it speaks for itself. He got wins over Junior Dos Santos, you know, guys like uh, Shamil Abdurahimov. I mean, he's just been fighting and beating everybody. Uh, he hasn't been beating guys like Francis Ngannou, um, obviously. But and he also has a, a very nice win over uh, Alexander Volkov. But when this guy gets his wrestling going, when he gets his wrestling grappling going, he sets up his takedowns well. Um, he's very good if you are backed up against the fence, which, which Derek Lewis is off his show to do. He tends to be flat-footed as Lewis. If you pressure him, he could be backed up against the fence. And I think that Blades could shoot a takedown on him there. And when Blades takes guys down, he's very good at making sure that if you are going to get up, he makes you work. He'll control your opposite wrist. He'll look to sink in a hook if you present your back. Um, he'll just make it very difficult for you to get up. And we saw Lewis against Alir Latifi and Daniel Cormier, who don't get me wrong, strong wrestlers, but they're a lot smaller than Lewis. They were able to control Lewis in the clinch. They were able to take him down. If you want to look at the Latifi fight, he was able to control Lewis on the ground. You know, so if Blades gets the clinch on Lewis, I think he'll be able to take him down and and probably you know, make it difficult for Lewis to separate. I think that Blades can land some ground and pound. He hasn't shown to be a submission threat, but, you know, again, some some top control, some ground and pound. And, and basically win rounds that way. And even on the feet, like, I think that Blades is the better technical striker of the two. You know, I think he's a better athlete. I think he's got better footwork. He uh, moves different angles very well, and he's just naturally faster. You know, Lewis is basically just uh, a power puncher, a head hunter. You know, Lewis will kind of go through large phases where he's kind of inactive. He'll uh, throw some naked kicks at range. He'll throw some flying knees, some flashy stuff. But uh, again, naked kicks. He's not setting them up. So that could lead to takedown opportunities for Blades. Uh, we've also seen that Lewis could attack in a flurry, and he's dangerous in that flurry because, again, he's strong, uh, fast, powerful guy. Um, but, again, I think that you know those opportunities will be scarce if Blades is able to get his – grappling and wrestling going. And even though Blades has lost two times by stoppage in the UFC, in my opinion, I think he's shown a good chin and good recoverability. I mean, if you want to look at the fight against Mark Hunt where he was rocked, he recovered well, uh, even against Francis. You know, the first fight was due to a doctor stoppage because his eye was all swelled up. And the second one, I mean, that was a legit stoppage and everything. I'm not questioning it. But look at how look at, look at at how he recovered there versus, say, some of the other fighters that Francis was able to hit uh, hard on the button. And uh, or, or, you know, just anywhere on the head, basically. Um, and look at how he recovered versus some of those other fighters. Like usually when Francis hits somebody with that shot on the head, like that's it. Like they're they're like out cold. But Blades at least recovered. He was like with it, talking with the ref afterwards. Again, legit stoppage and everything. I'm just talking about in terms of the guy, in terms of the guy's durability. How well does he recover? And again, with Lewis not being as fast, with him not being as technical of a striker, with him not really setting up his strikes as much as you like. I actually think that the opportunity for Lewis to land that KO shot and you want to couple that and want to parlay that with, you know, the fact that Blaze is just going to be able to um, get those clinch exchanges, get those grappling exchanges going. I just think that Lewis's opportunity to land that big shout, that the big shot is is going to be very limited here. Uh, so don't get me wrong. Lewis is tough. He, he has shown that he could carry that power late in fights. We saw that in the Alexander Volkov fight in round three when he knocked Volkov off about 10 seconds. Um, but unless if he gets that knockout shot, I just think that Blaze is the much better round winner here. I think he's the much better fighter. Again, he's got the wrestling, uh, the overall grappling advantage, I'd say. The clinch exchanges should favor Blades. He's the much better wrestler. Um, when he gets in top position, he should be able to control Lewis. And again, I do think that Blades is the better striker here. Uh, again, better footwork, better defense, uh, more technical. Like, so again, it's a heavyweight fight. And I understand like the hesitancy. I'm like, you know, again, it's a heavyweight fight. They all hit hard and things like that. And 
no, you know, people might say that the, there should be a certain threshold as like to how big of a favorite somebody should be. But this is really a matchup, right? I just think Blades wins much more often than not. So him being a big favorite, I actually think makes a ton of sense. Uh, so he's going to be my pick for this for this matchup. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. Um, man, I keep surprising myself. Yeah, I, I kept keep wrapping these up here pretty quickly here. So uh, yeah, I'm glad I'd be able to rolling these out. Um, if you guys have any feedback, you know, like it, you know, say if this is too early, maybe I should not send these out on Sundays. Maybe I should wait till Monday. I get it. I mean, I'm trying to accommodate to everybody's needs sometimes it doesn't work out perfectly but any feedback is appreciated hey i maybe uh do this uh, maybe you should you know talk about your betting results in the middle as well uh where we could tell if anything's not clear feel free to reach out and ask me i'm more than happy to help as i love to do this um other than that like i said off the top if you'd like to tell my plays for the events uh, you can do so i've, I've won at the time i'm recording this here potentially going to move on a few more uh, AJ's action pack sportsbeds.com backslash premium hyphen subscription tab or on MMAosbreaker.com on the premium picks tab. And all of my bets are third party tracked and verified at betmma.tips backslash Anthony S364. And if you weren't already aware, I just started adding the written rationale on the betmma.tips uh, profile. So if you want to see like a past result of mine in, in recent cards here, the last few, and see why I bet it, my rationale, you could click on the little like notepad icon on betmma.tips, click it and see my, my full uh, written breakdown there. And that's, you know, going back to like the last card time we're recording this here, like Rafael Dos Anjos and Ashley Yoder were my bets for that card. You can see the rationale there as well as the previous cards as well. Um, so again, I, I don't feel embarrassed if I'm wrong or anything and nothing like that. I just want to be fully transparent with what uh, my thought process was when I made these decisions. And I'm okay with them at the end of the day, if they worked out or not, uh, we can only work with what we got. So uh, that is it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, let's do this.